This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max, brought to you by Bastion GRP for all your specialist needs in recruiting, engineering, and defense. Go to Bastion grp.com today on the show we have an absolute legend in nbl refereeing over 200 nbl games left nbl finals the australian world under 21 women's championships retiring in 2016 currently refereeing in the nbl one it's Raul kirsten Raul, it's an absolute privilege to have you on how are you thanks max i'm going good so it's happy to be here <laughs> now i'd like to get straight into it recently last year in november yourself Ray Hunt and 40 other guys went alongside Chris Anstey to the States. What was that like? I see you went to his old, his old rockin' town, Dallas. Yeah, I went to Dallas. Um, it was an amazing uh, trip. I can recommend it highly to, to anyone that wants to go on that. This is sort of trip. So I think we went to six or so NBA games, a college game, uh, a hockey game, and then two. Well, I had a, an NFL game with a group, but mm-hmm. my sister lives in Boston, so we had a week with her. Um, oh, prior to that, so I saw another NFL game in Boston. So um, it was just an amazing experience. The behind-the-scenes access we got via Chris uh, was amazing. So we got to see the pre-game shoot-arounds. We went to the Boston Celtics training facility, the Dallas Mavericks training facility. Uh, we got a session with Dirk uh, Dirk Nowitzki, which was amazing. Um, we also had some connections, not via Chris, but uh, via our NBL connections. We got to go in the NBA Replay Centre. Wow. Um, so that was just, yeah, it was an awesome trip. And the, a bunch of guys were really good as well. So we had we had lots of fun. I was talking to Ray Hunt. He talked about um, working in the NBL replay centre this season. Is there a big difference between the NBA and NBL centres? I, I actually haven't been at Ray. Ray went in there. I actually haven't uh, haven't done that So due to time commitment. So, so Ray's done that. Um, I think it's a little bit, yeah, I think it's a little bit different. Obviously, the facility is not as big. Um, but my understanding is the NBL went over and watched and had a look at the NBA replay centre when they were forming how they were going to do their replay centre. Um, so, yeah, I can't answer that one properly, sorry, because I haven't actually been in there. Yeah. <laughs> now, I want to get into your career. So I want to start with your childhood childhood round. What was that like for you? Was refing always a passion from a young age or was basketball your passion? Like what, what was or was it just all sport? It was all sports, but basketball. So I love basketball. So we would uh, go down to the, the local stadium, which my one was Kilsyth. So, um, and I'd play a couple of games during the day, and but I'd hang out and watch my mates play. So, we, you know, virtually like dropped off at one o'clock and picked up at, I don't know, six or 7 p.m. Uh-huh. Um, so I thought, well, I've got a bit of time to kill. I might as well jump on the court and get some pocket money as well. So, mm. um, so I didn't really do it until I was, um, I think it was 17 when I, when wow. I started umpiring, I was playing. Um, yeah, so I, I um, yeah, did it as most people do, started off for pocket money. So, was that starting um, off as a green shirt, I guess they call it now, or was it straight to C-grade ref? Yeah, you, you didn't have a green shirt back in those days. You obviously had your, um, you know, your, your L plates on, so to speak. You just didn't yep. have a different shirt. So there was always, um, like we do similar now, you have a senior referee and, and you tag along and, try and make a couple of calls and if they make a call, they sort of let you go to the bench and do all the signals. And so you go to a, a ref school, you do about four weeks worth of theory and discussions and stuff like that. You do a rulers exam and then they probably, they take you out on the court. And I'm not sure how many weeks, um, it's maybe three or four weeks of on the court. Um, not every day, it's probably, you know, once a week or twice a week, depending 
um, how often you want to do it. And then it's just a matter of them looking at you, thinking, yeah, you're confident enough that they can give you your C, your C badge or your C grade. So, um, yeah, I can't remember how, how long it took me, but, um, yeah, I got my C grade and that was the, the beginning of it. So, But it was pocket money back then uh, and my passion, my passion for basketball, I suppose. I, I love basketball and that's how I got into it. Mm-hmm. What, did you always, like when you first came into the refing scene, did you start off refing juniors or seniors? Um, at your local club, it's it's whatever you want. Um, but at Kilsyth, the, the juniors are on a Saturday. And, mm-hmm. and as I was still at school and stuff, I probably didn't want to go midweek. Mm-hmm. Um, so the seniors is more midweek. So so I, I started on the Saturday um, until I, um, you know, finished high school and then was able to drive myself and get a license and things like that. And then I started um, midweek, which was the seniors. But there's no rule. It, it's It's whatever you feel comfortable with it's probably most people start juniors because even though you've got some parents out there that might sort of yell at you I, th- I think it's an easier learning path with mm-hmm. with junior junior um, boys and girls versus coming straight into seniors where it can be a bit scary for, for young kids coming up so most people probably do do start juniors but there's no rule saying you have to start on juniors I'll tell you one thing I did refing for a few years just at the uh, local club I went straight into seniors Div, div one men's first night, refing alongside an experienced ref, and boy, they give it to you. Yeah, so I don't <laughs> enjoy coming back and doing domestic as much because um, even though people in the senior ranks and the NBL and stuff might disagree with your decision, there's always that level of respect because you're up yeah. there. But when you go down to domestic, a they don't know who you are, which is fine; that doesn't bother me. But they just there's no respect there. They just mm-hmm. yell at you and and stuff. So it's not it's not enjoyable riffing domestic as it used to be. Yeah, absolutely. What what did it used to be like? Was there always that equal respect as you see on court in the NBL? Um, look, not as much because they still are sort of domestic level. But um, back when I was sort of coming up through the ranks, um, Kilsyth had a really good. It was called Championship Men, and yep. had a really good. Um, competition that was the Siebel back then I think it was or CBA and a lot of those players would play on a Monday night so it was a really good level of basketball and on a Tuesday night it was A grade so you had really really good people playing so there was A the skill was good um, people were taking it serious now now that I sort of ref domestic there's just a bit of a muck around which again is fine you want everyone to have fun um, but they're not as serious as they used to be and, and the skill level wasn't as good as what what it was when I first started refing. so um, yeah, so I suppose there was a little bit more respect because you had more of those senior guys coming down from the, you know, the NBL or Seabull, sorry, it was was back then. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what's it like when and how quick did you move up that those ranks from C grade to B grade and obviously all the way up to get your fever badge? Um, I can't remember, actually. Um, but you just gradually, the C to B to A is all through Kilsyth, so they they judge you. Um and sometimes they might get a neutral person coming in, like a, back then it was like a Neil Bradbury um, that might come and assist with an A grade. Um, but if you wanted to go to the next level, which was your A2, um, and that was to get you on the junior panel and things like that, that that was always a neutral a neutral selection. So, and I think from memory it was Neil that gave me um, gave me that that grading. So um, from there, the pathway is you you get onto junior panel, which is the Friday night competition. It's called VJBL now. Yeah. Um, so you get onto that, um, and you gradually work your way up that, and different sort of things. You get to invited to national championships. So my first one was under fourteen, 
boys in Adelaide that the under-14s is a club championship. So it's the, you know, the Kilsyth Crobbers and the Unawatting Spectres versus once you get into 16, 18 and 20s, it's state. So it's Victoria, South Australia, New South Wales, et cetera. But under-14 is a club a club championship. So that was my first one. So what was that first championships like? Um, it was a good experience. Like it was, you know, amazing. Like, A, you get to travel and that was, you know, pretty exciting back then. Um, but also just that first experience of having other referees all in the same the same spot and meeting different referees from different states. So, um, you know, everyone was flying in from different areas and things like that. So that, that was exciting. And then um, I can't remember who my commissioner was, but then, you, you know, most times you've got an experienced commissioner and you've got experienced referee coaches. So for people that are coming up and wanting to learn and better themselves, it, it's the ideal sort of learning, learning spot with that sort of coaching feedback um, you get. So, so that was pretty good. Um, and then I just can't, I can't remember the timelines, but from, from there, eventually you get selected onto the senior panel. Now, it's a little bit different now compared to what it was. So, so back then we used to have on Wednesday night was the state state championship. So um, you had the Seabrook clubs combined with the the NBL clubs. So the Melbourne Tigers would play and anyone else, I think Geelong Supercats are in. So um so you first got selected, not straight on, they had different levels. That was panel one, which was obviously the 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 the, the MBL guys and the Seabrook guys. But you first had um I, I did like division two and those sort of again it was on a Wednesday night. Um, but it was a senior competition and, and it was said division two, it was still your, you know, your Nana Waddings and your kill sites and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, but and and you did that on a Wednesday night. It was just a matter of getting better and getting noticed and, and getting good scores and people sort of, you know, talk about you and say, right, we, we want to put him to this tournament or put him to this area. And you gradually just ref better and better games and, and then you gradually get selected to go to this thing and, and that thing. So from there you get selected, you, you start on the panel too. And then if you do okay, um, what it used to do, used to get scores. So they used to do a bun sheet and they used to mark all your calls. So, you know, say you had 80 out of 20, you, you got 90% and they put all the scores together and they get a rankings from that. And yep. um, from the second division panel, I think from memory, it was the top five of that panel went up to the to the to the number one panel, and then the bottom five and number one panel would go back. So they'd 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 drop five and they'd bring five on. I'm just guessing the numbers. I think it's approximately five people. Mm-hmm. So then you make it to that number one panel, um, and and that's where um, you know we were amazing growing up because. Um, we had Yeti Crouches and Ray Hunts and Mel Coopers and all those sort of people yeah. <laughs> riffing Wednesday nights. So, so we got to ref with them, uh, which is obviously exciting for a guy coming up and, and wanting to be a referee. Versus now, it, it's harder for the NBL guys to ref because they're in two different um, in summer leagues. There's a summer league and a winter league. So the NBL guys, unfortunately, don't have the time to, to do a lot of the winter leagues. Um, versus us, we got to ref with them because they did the Wednesday night as a state and then they'd go and do the NBL on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So the state league that we got to referee didn't interfere with the NBL. So, um, and it was compulsory for them to do the Wednesday nights uh, as well. So, um, yeah, you got selected onto that. And then from there was, was WNBL. So, um, oh, sorry, before that, it was, it was selected on to do the, the Siebel or CBA yeah. Siebel. So, yep. so you do the Wednesday night, then then you did the Siebel, which was on the on the weekend. Um, back then, it was two two person officiating. Um, I think my first game was at Frankston, from memory, um, with Andrew O'Sullivan. Um, I can't remember what year it was. Um, so you just keep doing that, and then from there, you, you get selected to WNBL. Was that was WNBL, WNBL a big thing for refing back then? 
it was it was still big for a referee. Yeah, it wasn't as big as it is now. You know, with with, yeah. with crowds and exposure and you know TV and things mm-hmm. like that. But it was still huge. You know, that was the number two league for for a referee to do. So if you made it the WNBL, that that was a big achievement for you. So um, yeah, so that was you know that that was a goal. So you set yourself a goal. You know, get on the Seabull CBA. Next goal was was um get on to WNBL. Next goal was it was NBL, and then from NBL it was get your fever get your fever license so that was sort of you know your steppings and pathways and things like that so yeah so it was pretty pretty exciting and and, and great opportunity to, to ref with some of the refs I got to ref with there's lots of so many different small and detailed components to refing basketball and any sport for that matter of fact for example obviously you got to get to the right spot at the right time make the right call all your signals have to be correct what's that like and how much training goes into that? Is that your own personal training or throughout NBL is there training programs throughout the week? It's a bit of both. So you're just talking about NBL or you're talking about before you get to NBL? NBL, so, yeah. Okay, so NBL, there's a fitness component to it. Um, the NBL was hard um, in respect of um, we're all in different states. So unfortunately, the league wasn't as financially stable as they are now. So, so it would be rare if we got together as a group and have a pre-season gathering. They didn't have the blitz and stuff like that, which they do now as, as often. So yeah. um, it'd be hard to all get in the, the same room, so to speak, which is, which is the best way to do it because you're all in the same room, you can hear the same message. So, um, so there's a fitness component. We always had to do a fitness test. Um, back then it was the beep test. Now it's the yo-yo test. Um, but the beep test, you had to do, I think, 11 minutes from, from memory. Um, and we had to do them, I think, three times a year. So you do one, one at the start of the season, um, you know, one, say, a third into the way in the season and one at the two-thirds of the way season. Um, so there's a fitness component. Um, again, because you're in your own state and stuff, fitness, I just did my own thing. So it would be rare to sort of get together and do group fitness stuff, um, which I always enjoyed doing group stuff. It's a lot better to do in a group than train by yourself. So Did you ever get to um, together with any of the rest to do group fitness? Uh, occasionally we did. Um, here and there, you know, when we have meetings yeah. and things like that. So it's more so if we had a meeting, um, let's go for a run first or, or do stuff. So I tried to, because I really like the fitness aspect of it. I've tried to organise things, but again, it was, you know, do you do it before work, after work? Um, you know, where do you do it? Because not everyone, you know, not everyone lives near each other. Um, we actually, when I was just sort of getting onto the senior panel, we actually put in, uh, some money to pay for like a running coach or, or a fitness coach. Um, so we used to do that near the Nutterwining Stadium behind where I think it's Toshiba or Cannon. There's that, yep. you know, that Cannon area that before yep. that was built, that was just like grass and it was hilly and stuff like that. So we'd do a warm up on the athletic track and then he'd take us up up that sort of um, area behind to said where I think it's Cannon is um, and make us sort of run up. There's lots of hills and things like that. So, um, so we had that as our own um sort of thing that we sort of contributed towards to do uh and it was was like a professional sort of fitness coach so so that was good um and then there's the theory aspect of it you know rule knowledge um so we with the mbl we were to get get together like this like a zoom link or something like a video link and we would get together occasionally we might all meet say in melbourne the melbourne guys would meet and then we have a video link with the news and the file guys etc so there'd be at least monthly there'd be um you know video video sessions etc Again, the technology's got better, so there probably wasn't as many cut-up clips like they got now. Like the technology yeah. the referees have got now is amazing. So, I think 
I don't know, it's by the end of the game or, or the next day, they've virtually got their whole game cut up in the calls and things like that. And they can measure the calls and every call you've made, they can go back and say you've got a weakness on charge block. They can put in charge block and they'll call up, you know, all your charge block calls for the season thus far. So the, the technology now uh, is quite amazing. We, we used to, um, Foxtel was was doing it. So we used to get, put a USB stick, um, we give it to the, the guy at Foxtel um, and he would give us, he would download the game onto onto a USB stick. So that was our way of sort of doing our own game reviews. We didn't have cut-ups then, it was just um, sort of game reviews. So, yeah, so a bit of theory, a bit of um, uh, fitness um, and, and meetings and stuff like that. So obviously your calls have to be spot on and accurate all the time, but especially back then as you didn't have as good technology as they have now um, in the replay centre. So what's that like when your calls have to be so accurate the whole time. I mean, your charges have to be correct. Offensive fouls have to be correct. You know, if there's a defensive transition play and there's a foul, how do you determine whether that's like an unsportsmanlike or not? Uh, look, a bit of experience help, helps there and stuff like that, but it's just feel for the game. Um, and, you know, judging each call on its merits that's in front of you. So obviously, you know, we get scored, we get judged, we get marked. Um, so we want to be the best we can be just like the players do. So, you know, you don't deliberately make mistakes. You, you obviously do make mistakes, but you're not there to deliberately make mistakes because mm-hmm. if you keep making mistakes, we get dropped. So so just like, you know, players, they're having a bad game, the coach might sit them out and say, you can sit on the bench or on and put another player on. We, we're the same. So if we get bad scores, we got dropped and you wouldn't get more appointments. So obviously you want a referee, you want to do as many games as you can and you want to do the best games. So there's pride in your performance. So you're just trying to be as accurate as you can and and, and learning. So, yeah, we didn't have as many cut-ups, but you go and watch, you know, you watch your game back every single time. You'd prepare for the game. So if you know you got, you know, the Tigers versus the Kings, for example, you, you'd go and have a look at that game if you've done it before or, or you'd go and um, look at your Melbourne Tigers clips or, or you'd go and have a look at games with Melbourne Tigers or Kings, et cetera. Um, and generally we'd, we'd speak, you know, as a refereeing group, you know, things – Things to talk about, you know, potential matchups. So you don't want to go in a game and, and have surprises. So you're looking, you know, if there's a rivalry, say you had the Cairns and Sydney game last weekend or mm-hmm. whenever it was on Sunday. So on the, I think it was the Friday night, there'd been a little bit of argy-bargy and, and you know, the coach Tough got course. ejected. Yeah. Uh, there was an unsportsmanlike guy that sort of hip and shouldered a guy. So you, so you would go yeah. into that, all right, we need to be on our game and we need to be watching everything because the last thing you want to do is have something happen behind the scenes and you, you, what happened there and you don't know. So it's about game preparation and having a good pre-game. So you, the referees would discuss the game prior to going on the court and, and, you know, we'd have points of emphasis. We'd also have, you know, notes and things like that. So it's all about preparation um, and, and getting your mind ready and then judging the call, you know, on its merits. But experience in dealing with situations, you know, you, you'd, go through games with heaps of block charges. So you'd hope by the time one comes in front of you, you know what to do and how, how to yeah. call it. You know, the, <laughs> the block charge is probably the most difficult call to make. It's that split second. Um, you know, then they added the complexity of whether you're in the circle or not, because you didn't have to look at that before. Uh, but now you've got to add that. So, you, so you're sort of looking, are they in the circle? And then then judging the call as well. So, And you've got to do that, you know, in a split second. And whilst the crowd and and Others get to look at the replay. You don't get to look at the replay. I know coaches mm-hmm. can challenge, and then you look at the replay, mm-hmm. but you've got it in front of you. So, and it's it's not it's not that easy at times because uh, the players are so quick, and you oh, you know what happened there, and and so yeah, 
So, but it's pride in your performance and preparation and, and hopefully you get the calls as, you know, most times referees have, have a reasonable game, said occasionally they they don't, but most times when you analyse the calls from a basketball point of view, a referee point of view, that, that most times they're pretty accurate. The crowd might disagree because they mightn't understand the rules properly or some of the uh, the things that go into refereeing, but most referees are pretty, pretty accurate. So how early prior to a game do referees arrive and communicate with each other as to how they're going to officiate the game? Um, when I was riffing, it was an hour. Now they've changed that to an hour and a half. And I think that's more because they've got more equipment involved now. We, we didn't have, you know, now they've got the headset, so they talk to each other on court. Yeah. So there's a lot more equipment to, to put on and there's a lot more, you know, to go on the court and check with the replay centre and things like that and talking and making sure that communication. Mm. So... The only thing we had back in our day was was the microphone to, with Foxtel, and that was easy to put on. So, um, yeah, so we would generally try and get the venue at least an hour, you know, an hour, hour and a quarter in advance. Um, so you would get changed um, and then, you know, if you need to put tape on or dinko rub or any of that sort of stuff, do all that sort of stuff. Um, and then we would um, you try and make sure you're on court at least 20 minutes. Again, it's a little bit different now. Um, we used to... Only towards the end of my career, we were warming up on court. We used to warm yep. up pre, pre-court, pre which frustrated me because you go and warm up and then you, you get on the court and sit there for 20 minutes and get cold. Yeah. <laughs> so I like it now, how, how you warm up on court, which is good. Um, so you're warm when you when you jump on court. Um, so, yeah, we would, I don't know, as a guide, maybe 40 minutes before the game, we, we'd start our pre-game. Um, mm. And just depending on the game, that would be anywhere of 10 to 15 minutes, you know, Maybe 20, you don't, you don't want to go overboard with your talk and over sort of think it, but most pre-games say 10, 10, 15 minutes. Um, and then, you know, we'd, we'd have our spot when we we're told to sort of go out on the court. The players will get introduced first uh, and then we go out after after them. So um, NBL sort of generally had a 15-minute warm-up. You know, when you go to your local NBL 1 sort of thing, that they have 20 minutes on there. But yeah, NBL was yeah. traditionally 15 uh, for whatever reason. I think it's because they did more of a, you know, a pre-game entertainment, so um, they just had the 15 minutes. So, yeah. Um, now, when you talk about a situation like Friday night where it was Tim Suarez and he got called for an unsportsmanlike foul, obviously that was a defensive foul. How do you, you how would you have officiated that call? There wasn't a whole lot of contact in that play from Tim Suarez' point of view or perspective, but there was um, initiated contact by him um, on purpose. So was this the one like the hip and shoulder sort of thing? Was that, was yeah, that it was hip and shoulder, yeah, it yeah. was the shoulder. Yeah, it was the shoulder. A little bit easier now these days because they make a call first and then the replay centre looks at it Backs to upgrade. Up, yeah. <laughs> but we, would, we, we didn't have that replay centre um, when I was doing NBL, so we would have to judge the call on its merits. So generally what you do, you, you, you make a call and if you – is a level of doubt. You would speak to your partners and say, hey, did you see it? Um, and what were they thinking? So uh, otherwise, you just got to go with your gut. And, and most times when you're refereeing, your gut instinct, that first instinct, what your thought is, is, is the correct one. So if you thought was unsportsmanlike, you know, I'm going to say nine times out of ten, you're going to call it unsportsmanlike. Um, but, but, yeah, you had the opportunity with the other refs, if they did have a vision on it, that you would discuss it with them and say, this is what I've seen. Did you see anything else? Um so you get together your partner and then work out, yep, yeah, all right, so on sports like this is what we're going to call. So, 
Um, but it's making sure you have vision on that play. So it was really good. Um, I can't remember which ref it was, but, um, you know, they had vision on it because it was a little bit off the ball. So it was more clumsiness, I think. I don't think it was yeah. A, yeah. that deliberately, but it was sort of head high and, and I don't know if it was dangerous, but it was it, it was heavy contact. So it was definitely unsportsmanlike in my opinion. So I think they got the right the right call. Um, yeah, and uh, it's just making sure we've always got eyes, you know, on on something and something happens, we, we know what to call. The worst thing in the world is if something happens and you see a player on the ground and you go, well, what yeah. just happened there? <laughs> and the three of you are looking at each other going, I've got no idea what happened there. So so how do you get to the right position to make an out-of-bounds call where four players are diving on the ball and the ball's protected in between those players? Uh, again, it's experience. So, you know, is it picking of, the gap between the players or? Yeah, it is. We, we've got what's called mechanics. So, so there's mechanics and it's the same in the AFL. It's just, all right, where where should you be in certain situations? So we, we talk about that in, in our pre-season stuff and in our camps or in our discussions and stuff is mechanics and, and even cut-ups. So nine times out of ten, if you make a bad call, it's probably because your position's not right and you haven't what we call gathering all the information. You haven't gathered all the information yeah. to make the correct call. I reckon... Again, nine times out of ten, if you're in the right spot and you see all that information, I reckon you're going to make the call right more times than not because that's your job and that's your experience. But it's when you don't see the play, you don't see the whole play, you, you gather the only the end of it and you haven't mm-hmm. seen it. Um, or, you know, when you get involved in something that maybe you shouldn't, like if something's right in front of you, Max, and I think you know, I'm, I'm miles away, like, oh, I'm going to blow something there. Maybe I shouldn't. I've got to trust you more. Um it's those sort of things. So it, it's just experience of getting in that position. So you're right, there's the gaps, but there's also um, there's three spots on the court. So there's a, what yep. we call a trail referee, the one that's high up. Then you've got the, the centre referee that's on the opposite side and, and in the centre. And you've got what's called yep. the lead referee that's on the baseline. And, and always the lead and trail will be on one side and the centre will be on another side. So it's just um, knowing, you know, what's happening and also anticipation. So um, that's part of your preparation, knowing what the offence is doing and when they're going to, um, you know, flick it out quickly, um, making sure you don't move when there's a shot going up and just, just sort of knowing what's happening. So it's about being, you know, in the right spot and predicting things, preparing and knowing where to be. How do you approach the NBL finals? Um, that's the next level up. So the first thing you you approach it, you're excited about to do it because that's what all referees want to do. So, so, you know, that that's a massive honour and and a goal. You know, when you, when you start your, your year, you, you say, well, I want to do finals. That, that's your goal. Um, so again, preparation. Um, you know, speaking is there more to your preparation crew, in terms of finals than a regular season game? Uh, it, it's the same, I would say, but it's more. You know, there's more, um, more exposure on it. There's more, um, more on the line, so to speak. Um, but you should be preparing the same. Obviously, the finals. You know, higher level, next level. But your preparation should be the same. You should be treating a, a normal regular season game the same as you do a final. So. Um, but I, I suppose it's, um, you know, from those matchups, you've probably got more by the time you get to finals. You've got more experience of those teams playing each other. They would have played each other at least two, three times during the year. Yep. So you've got, you've got a bit of history on, on what have they done. Um, so that sort of helps. Um, and, you know, you can you work out your matchups if there's any been any issues with rivalries and players that have had maybe, um, you know, a bit of push and shove here and there. Um, trash talking as well, you know. Are there incidents with players that have been talking to each other that we need to be aware of? Uh, all those sort of things. So I think you approach it the same. Um, 
but there's definitely a more level of excitement because that's what you're you know you're there to do and generally the crowds are probably bigger as well in your finals you know there's a few of the finals i did in perth and cairns and there's nothing better you know you go to perth and i think it what is it all 13 13 14 000 or whatever it was you know a packed crowd that's probably 95 percent barracking for perth and and yeah. you know, telling you when you did something wrong so um but you know that's what you strive for that atmosphere and you know that excites you um being able to ref with those sort of players and but the crowd as well the atmosphere is just amazing at some of those venues in your career obviously refing was i guess a weekend job and on the side you had your day job uh, as an accountant how did you manage that and balance that work-life balance with family too that that was hard and that's probably when i got to retiring um that that was the you know, as I said, the straw that broke the camel's back because I had a high-profile job. Um, I was a CFO for a, um, AHG, was done on a stock exchange. Um, so I was there for the, for the state, running the state financially, et cetera there. So, um, so that'd be a lot of hours, you know, pretty demanding job. You'd be doing at least, you know, probably 50 hours, possibly more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're trying to juggle in a, uh, a part-time career, so to speak, um, you know, because you didn't make enough money to, to be your job in the NBL. Um, so you're trying to manage that. And then also, as you said, family, I had a young family, um, you know, and to sort of work hard during the week and then sort of jump on a plane on Friday and say, see you later, I'm going to ref and you, you get back Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was tough to juggle it all. So I was pretty lucky with my boss where I, I could work from home, so to speak. Now sort of with this COVID, you talk working from home. I, I could take my laptop and still do do my work away from the office. I didn't need to be at the office all the time. Um, so I was lucky in that respect. My, my boss was really good and helpful. So I, I'd try, it was good, you know, like going to Perth. I, I'd go, I'd fly to Perth the night before. So you could, there was an 8.30 flight and with the time difference, you'd land at 9.30 in Perth. Yeah. So I could do a full day's work. You know, you fly up Thursday night, put a full day's work before you had to ref on Friday. So I didn't really miss work, so to speak. Um, some of the other venues were tougher when you went to Cairns and, and Townsville because your sort of time zones were different, but they were sort of day day trips. New Zealand was another good one to do because you'd you'd fly at night and you yeah. could you could do your work day and stuff like that. So but it was a balancing act and it probably led to why I retired because I just I was finding it hard to fit it all in. So how'd you make that decision to retire from the game you love? Um oh look, it's difficult because you're still enjoying it when 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 I was Reffing, I was still enjoying it. So uh, it was, but it was just in the end when you sort of work out, um, I, I wasn't devoting enough time to basketball. So I just sort of realised that my where I wanted to be and my performance levels weren't as good as I, I thought I could be or had been in the past. And, you know, as you said, you take pride in your performance and, and my calling accuracy probably dropped a little bit. And that was just I didn't, I wasn't putting enough time to prepare. So you know, I wasn't doing as much video review as I used to do and, and that sort of stuff. So I, I felt my refereeing performance wasn't as good as what it was. So I just thought uh, if I can't do it well, I didn't want to do it. I, you know, I don't want to be sitting there and um, making mistakes all the time and getting dropped all the time. So I just thought um, I, I just can't devote enough time to, to, to do it well. So it was just the right time and probably do the right thing by the family as well and, and, and be, be in the country or the state a little bit more than what I was. Um, yeah, so it was a hard decision, but it, it probably was an easy one as well, so to speak, when I when I put the fact, you know, the factors together of family and performance and devoting enough time to it, it was an, sort of an easy decision to make. How many NBL1 NBL games do you ref a week? 
Um, again, it, it's similar like NBL. It's just as many as the you know the referee commissioner wants to, or referee manager wants to give you. So um, I always said because I'm I've already uh, you know done NBL and things like that. I don't want to take spots from people so mm-hmm. that are coming up. I'm happy to help out, and I think I can help out, and I can be a mentor for people. That's sort of what I what I like to do now. So I don't need to do two or three games a weekend. I'm just happy with one. So I'm happy with whatever they give me. So it's it's generally most times it's one game a weekend. Yeah. Occasionally, um, when they've got a lot of games on, there might be two games a weekend. So this season will be different, I think, because I think it's a more a condensed season. They're, they're just looking at the fixture. There's a lot more games midweek. Yeah. So I reckon yeah. I reckon you're going to get more two game weekends because they're going to need refs midweek and then also on the weekend. So, but most times it's a game, a game uh, per week. How is there the same preparation for NBL one as NBL? Obviously we talked about preparation. Um, obviously it's a, I guess, massive level down um, from NBL and there's players and refs who are trying to break that bracket and break into the NBL. There's still the same amount of preparation required, but you know, being honest, I probably don't put as much in as, as other people do because I, I probably use my experience a little bit more. But I certainly um, I look at the clips, you know. Um, do you look at players and things like that? Yeah, so, you know, it, it's difficult more in NBL 1 because you there's more teams and stuff and you're not refing them as often, so to speak. You don't you don't see them as much as NBL. Yeah. Like NBL, I can't remember what it was, eight or nine teams or something like that. So you'd, you'd ref the Tigers at least every second or third week. Yeah, yeah. But you're seeing them regularly. Like, you know, last year in NBL 1, uh, for example, I didn't ref Frankston once and I didn't ref Ballarat once, uh, but I ref Kilsyth about four times. So it's just... It's luck of the draw. So it's hard when you go, all right, I'm going to now go to Frankston. I haven't seen them at all this year. So I'm relying on, you know, Max, if you've seen them a couple of times, all right, can you tell me, you know, is there anything I need to see, know about them? So we might see clips on Frankston, but if yeah. I haven't ref them before, so it's a little bit difficult. Um, but generally that that's where your preparation, your pre-game comes in handy that, you know, Max, you might say, oh, I had Frankston last week and, you know, player number 23. We had two unsportsmanlikes on him and he, and he, he was a bit lippy as well or, you know, his screens were were not uh, illegal, but they were close to illegal. So we had to talk to him a lot. So just those sort of things are right, what we want to look at and, and stuff like that. So so um, the preparation is different for me more so um, maybe because of my experience, but there's still is, you still need to come prepared. You need to be ready. Yeah. You need to be having a look at the clips. You need to be having a look because the clips will come out in, in points of emphasis. They might say, all right, as, as a group, in NBL one, we've, we've struggled with with block charge this week, yeah, um, or last week, I should say. Here's here's five or six clips, and you'd say this is right, this is wrong, etc. So we'd make sure we speak about it, we'd look at it, and things like that. You know, so everyone's so on, the same, on the same page. Uh, because I think the clips we get go out to the coaches as well. So the coaches say, all right, they're they're looking at at block charge this week, or etc. So um, so yeah, so preparation is still important, but it's just probably different. Uh, for my role that I play. I, I, I try not to be the senior person on court, so to speak. I, I want to let the others do that. And I want to be more of a mentor for them and help them if, you know, if, if they make some bad calls or things, they're not sure of a few things to give them more of a mentor approach rather than me going out and having to be the dominant referee, so to speak, or take control of the game. So we, we might've been on NBL and things like that. Absolutely. Ralph, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. It's been an absolute honour and a privilege to have you on to hear your perspective on getting to the right position, making the right calls, you know, some of the great games um, you've been involved throughout uh, your NBL career and best of luck for NBL 1 South this season. 
Thanks, Max. Thanks for having me. So it was good, good to uh, good to talk to you. Thanks, Ralph. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more sporting wax. We'll see you soon. This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEM.